Welcome to the Soccer Podcast, where we talk soccer in Delaware, soccer in the rest of the world, and everything in between. My name is Sebastian, and this week I'm joined here by Dwayne. Yes, sir. Episode two in 2021. That's right. Episode 28 of the podcast. And man, do we have a fun show today. Yeah, we um, do. Guest, we got an awesome guest coming in that I think is gonna, I think it's gonna start kick off our our January guest series. So where we normally uh, at times are waiting until the last minute to confirm guest, this might be the most prepared. It's almost like it was a New Year's resolution to be prepared for a marketing analytics department uh, to finally get their stuff together. But marketing analytics department has come through and has secured a guest for every single week in January so far. It's what's up. Yeah, we're making big strides. The rest of the rest of the month is booked up. So if you uh if you're trying to get on the podcast, waiting list. Waiting. Sorry, <laughs> Chad. You've been sorry, Chad. You're you're you gotta now look at February. Yeah, Chad's gonna be on it around episode fifty-two. That's right. Oh man, there you go. At the end of the year. With with the way our with the way we're all lined up, now that's at some point in June or July or whatever it is that our our year is. Yeah. I think it's probably June. Yeah, I think June. Which probably. which is gonna be perfect. And man, what a segue. It's almost like we planned this. Uh June and July will be when we are in the middle of our United Women's Soccer season. Yeah. And who would have thought when we started this podcast a year from then, we'd have you know United women's soccer team at Delaware Union. Absolutely. So if uh, if you've been following our our social media, uh, which is facebook.com slash Delaware Union or Instagram at Delaware Union Soccer or on Twitter at DE Union Soccer, you may have seen, and we previewed this last week on the episode uh, before and everywhere else, um, but we it's been officially announced as of yesterday at 4 o'clock in the afternoon that we will have a United women's soccer league two team for the summer 2021 season, which is really exciting. Um, Dwayne and I will be coaching the team. Uh, Extends the pathway for the club. Um, We, you know, you'll hear uh, our guests talk about like pathways with us club soccer, but you know, the pathway for Delaware union kind of ends playing wise when you graduate. Like, There's a couple players who have a birth year. They can come back after their freshman year in college and play with the team if it's still there and keep going. But now we've kind of opened the opportunity to play until you're, what, 22, 23, if you really want to, yeah. at a at a high level outside of the college game. So I think it's, it's going to be a great opportunity um, to keep training during the summer. I know summer is definitely one of the hardest times for a college kid to train and play somewhere where it's meaningful you're not playing at the neighborhood park right in a pickup game with like 40 older guys you're just playing kick and run like you're, you're going to be able to get something out of it it's just a good extension to the pathway yeah and i think what's what's really cool is you know when we look at the the overall when we look at the the full circle experience of it it provides me and you an opportunity to coach at a different level uh it provides yeah. the opportunity for some of our coaches to be able to come into it because I've had some different conversations with different different coaches in our club this week, and they've asked, you know, who's going to be who's who's kind of running the team. And I said, you know, Dwayne and I are 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 coaching the team, but like anything else, we really do at Delaware Union, it's a collective of of multiple people. So, you know, we'll we'll be there day to day, and and we'll be there for the games and things like that. But 
we neither of us are um are that much of uh control freaks when it comes to coaching that we wouldn't be okay with you know having somebody else come in so i i've already talked i've already talked to a couple of our coaches to say listen I'm going to want you to come in and run a couple of sessions because I think that's yeah. going to be really It'll allow us to see some different things as well. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. It's so much fun when you, as a coach, you're able to um, have somebody else run a session for your team and you can just sit back and watch it from a different standpoint, a different view. I think it's, I think it's really cool. So, you know, we'll, we're really excited about being able to. Um, I know one coach, whenever he's not on the golf course, is going to be itching to come out there. Oh, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely he's been quiet so far but i know he's gonna get that bug and that itch and he's oh yeah out there oh he's gonna want to be out there for sure um <laughs> but but I'm, I'm looking forward to it i think it'll and then so that's from a coaching education or coaching opportunity standpoint and then i think for our younger players it provides it gives them you know not only is it an expansion to the pathway but it gives them somebody local to look up to somebody right next to you know right in their backyard to go and watch play week in week out you know i'm excited i'm excited to see hopefully with with hopefully we can we can start moving past um the covid world and or start getting back to a sense of normalcy or or at least a sense of being able to have people be outside and enjoying the sport um so you know my goal would be that we create a following for this team. I would love to be able to say for away games, we're bringing fans. Like we are, we're, we're bringing people. We, we've talked away. about some supporters. Uh, they, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're going to, we're, we're going to do some different cool things um, as this comes out that, and it gives us the opportunity to expand and have a bunch of different ideas and different things that we're going to do. And then, and I think there's a local there's a local connection too. Absolutely. Um, you know, we talk about Delaware Union players looking up to us, but there's a local connection too with I mean, we're gonna have an athletic trainer. Um that allows kids that are coming back from college or kids that are in high school that have aspirations to be an athletic trainer to be able to get some hours to see what it's like to to kind of be in that mist. Um, you know, there's high school kids that want to volunteer or looking for like internships and things to do i mean we can you know the sky's yeah. the limit here oh yeah game day operations uh and things like that are definitely all 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 on the table and all all available for for somebody to come in and be a part of it um we'd love to have as many people involved on this as possible and i and then the other part of it is when we talk about the players you know as and this has been part of my thought process going into the Odessa season as I'm I'm getting ready to start that in March is you're starting something brand new. So it gives you the, a blank slate to be able to create and build a legacy off of it from the ground floor as to what you envision it going and having it be for the future. And we talked about it last week about how cool would it be for a 2006 player, for example, to go play with, you know, or to watch play one of the girls that has usually graduated or or coming back after their freshman year of college and in four years being able to share the field with that player. Yeah. So I think the other part of it is what this group of, of, of players can build on this team, not only on the field, but off the field as well. And, you know, we're, we're, we've already talked to some different partners that are going to come in and and do some goal setting and some 
some team building things with this group to really build a foundation so that this team means something more than just us being able to get some players together, you know, three times a week, four times a week, and then play a game on a Saturday, have it really mean something. Cause I think it's going to be, it's going to be a really important part of our club going forward. Yeah, absolutely. We got to, you got to start strong. So we we don't want to drop the first year. We want to swim. Oh yeah, absolutely. We are, we are definitely, we definitely want to, we definitely want to swim there. Yeah. No, no drowning allowed. Swimming, swimming at all times. So we put a life vest on. <laughs> <laughs> when we talk about U.S. club and how important it's been for us to be part of the Players First program, I think one specific person, at least for me, has is really comes to mind when it comes to the entire process, and that's Ashley Lair. She's the senior manager of club development and outreach for U.S. club. Ashley, how are you? Thanks for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Sebastian. Um, really excited to talk to you guys today. You you have been our main point of contact when it comes to the Players First uh, program and have definitely answered a lot of my questions uh, so far in the last, I would say, six months or so. So in general, I want to talk to you because we, we just came off of the Players First Summit that both Dwayne and I took part in and, and we had a really good time. Uh, I think we picked up a lot of different cool ideas and, and learned a lot. Uh, so, but in general, why did us club end up creating the players first program? Yeah, sure. That's a, that's a great question. Um, I like to tell the story of, uh, where the idea came from for players first. And, um, what happened was our CEO and executive director, Kevin Payne, he was at a dinner, um, let's see, it must've been about five or six years ago now. And he was speaking with um, a woman that was sitting across the table from him. And she was saying, I just moved to a new city and uh, to North Carolina, a city in North Carolina. And I don't know uh, where I should have my young children uh, play. Like what soccer club should I have them play at? And Kevin realized in that moment, huh, you know, that's odd. You know, this person who happened to be Mia Hamm, didn't know where to put her, which club to enroll her, her, you know, young little children into play soccer. And so he thought, how can we make, um, a branded club experience, you know, where parents can identify what are the best clubs in my region, where, where do I want my kids to play so that I know they're getting a good experience and being developed not only as players, but as people, and they're getting the support that they need. And they have a, you know, a, a good coach and an entire coaching staff and club that's behind them. And, um, you know, trying to help them achieve their long-term goals and looking at the long-term athlete and not just the, the you know, short-term goals of the elite players um, well, and the long-term goals of the elite players, but of every single player within the club, no matter what your level is and what your aspirations are. So that's where it was born, the idea. And then um, we launched licensing in 2018 where we could identify clubs like yours, like Delaware Union, and try and figure out where um, or how can we find um, clubs that are putting their players first. Um, we developed this application, which you guys went through the process. Um, and we have about 150 clubs now that have gone through that process where uh, we, I, we evaluate different areas within your club. Um, and as you know, we come back for feedback. We want to really try and understand all the details um, that go in behind the scenes and the operations of the club, the staffing structure, uh, the education of your technical directors and the continuing education 
of all the staff within the club, of course, player health and safety, and also maybe most importantly, um, how you're engaging with parents and keeping them involved in the process as well. So we're, we're excited that we've had this launch now for two years of the licensing process and excited for what the future holds as well. Yeah. And one of the things uh, going through the application process, and I would say that for me, the application process probably started about a year ago, uh, even though we we submitted our application about six months ago. It, it, I think the application process started about a year ago as a way for us to, and it's a program that I had seen before, um, but I wanted to wait until we had all our ducks in a row. But I think the application process for us was as a way to to make ourselves better uh, and to a certain extent. I mean, it was it was a lot of it for us was, all right, we need to have certain things and and not only do we need to have them to be able to complete this application, but also because they're the right thing to do and it's important to have certain things and 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 Dwayne, who's who's one of our um, one of our newer coaches in the club, even though he's been in the club for a couple of years, he's one of our younger coaches. He he's worked on a lot of the coaching education over the last year part partially was for, for the players first licensing, but at the same time, because it's helped them grow as a coach as well. And I think that's what really intrigued me about the program. Um, we, you know, we, one of the things we talk about all the time is that for us, we're in constant competition within ourselves. We, we look at nobody else really in our state. We don't really care about anybody else in our region. Um, not mm-hmm. because we're not competitive because we are, but, from our perspective, the best way we can serve our players and our families is to make ourselves better every time, not to compare ourselves to anybody else, but to basically here's where we are this year. How can we go a step further next year? And I think that's what this has been able to provide for us as a way of, to a certain extent, some checks and balances and some best practices. And one of the things that really was helpful is, and Duane and I took part of the La Liga, one of the La Liga uh, courses that you had in the last over the last couple of months but why why did La Liga get picked as as one of the partners from a coaching education perspective? Yeah, sure. And um, I love that you said that you guys kind of use the application too about um, you know using that almost as a reference for a self analysis for the club because we've realized that's actually um, what many clubs have used this the application and the application process for. Um, and also, I just want to mention that one uh, measure of success that we have for players first really has been the number of clubs that. Um, don't become approved you know they apply and we say you know you know unfortunately you haven't met all of the standards and the requirements however your application is open for six months and clubs can then uh, work on some of those things and get back to us with new information within six months and so we've had a huge amount of clubs I would say about a third of the clubs each uh, term that quarterly term that we announce are clubs that applied previously and have now made changes to their clubs so that's been really awesome um and regarding La Liga, thanks to you guys for tuning into our uh, digital coaching series by Verizon a couple months ago now. Um, we wanted to work with La Liga because, you know, of course, we know that they produce some of the best players in the world, maybe the best players in the world, depending on who you ask. Um, and we were introduced to them through our partners at Nike. And um, when we spoke with La Liga, they asked us, how can we have the biggest impact on soccer in the U.S.? And we said, well, you know, you guys produce some of the best players in the world. We think that you guys could help us with coach education. And so that's where we sat down and put together um, with, you know, Christian Lavers and Kevin Payne and our kind of technical team. They sat down with La Liga 
and developed the Liga Formation Methodology Series. And that has been a huge success as well. Uh, we launched that in 2016, and we're really excited to get back in person eventually, hopefully sooner rather than later, um, and hold some more of those courses. But the the main uh, impact that we thought they could have was coaching education. And so far, we've had, uh, I think, about 1,500 coaches go through that series. Um, and it's uh, level three, level two, and then level one. So level three is the initial level. And the prerequisites the prerequisites for the two and the one are that you have attended the previous courses. Um, and so hopefully we're going to get a course out in the Northeast um, summer of 2021 is the plan. So we'll have to keep everybody updated in your region. Oh yeah, absolutely. We, uh, count, you can count Dwayne and I end on it. Uh, awesome. we, <laughs> we, um, we definitely, and it's funny, we, you know, Dwayne and I uh, take a lot of the same coaching courses and we basically text each other through the entire thing. It's almost like we were sitting right next to each other. Um, it's almost like we became best buddies with Carlos uh, because it was, it was, it was really fun to, to be able to hear a lot of the things that they said. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting was it, maybe this is, maybe I'm finding out that this is hopefully by design, maybe, but what, what I'm finding out is that a lot of the, the methodology that La Liga has directly correlates to a lot of what you the U S club players first uh, application. The model is, as well, and for us, some of the things that that we found were at times validation for some of the things that we're doing at Delaware Union that, again, directly correlate with La Liga and what their best practices are. And we're like, Dwayne and I would just text each other back and forth like, oh, we're, we're doing that. Like, that's something that we we focus on or we we make a point of doing. And it has, at times, it has nothing really to do with with the, like, specific technical component of the game, but off the field or or some of those things like that. And I think those are extremely important. Sometimes those are sometimes those are the easiest things to get missed. Oh yeah, um, when we did our we did the level one international trip in February with La Liga, we spent a ton of time with different clubs over there, and that's kind of the final step of the La Liga methodology series. Um, and it was amazing to hear every single academy there say the same thing about really putting their players first. Like the player is the project. That's what they're constantly saying. Um, they're so focused, like hyper-focused on the way they treat their players, how they develop their players as people um, and teaching them manners, good behaviors, um, character, you know, and so many important other qualities that um, sometimes get missed when we focus too much just on coaching the technical aspects of the game or the technical aspects of the game. Um, and we know, you know, a very small percentage of players go on to play at the highest elite levels. So developing them as people and teaching them, you know, all the good uh, leadership qualities and different things about the real world that are so applicable to sports is, is something that we'd love to see that La Liga has reinforced over and over again. And um, that they bring into their methodology that is also obviously focused on the technical and tactical aspects of the game. So yeah. I might have enjoyed it. It's been, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so in general, what, what's the, what's a goal number that, that U.S. club would like to have in the Players First program? So when we launched Players First, you know, we didn't really have a number in mind. We were like, you know, should should we try and have, you know, only 50 Players First clubs around the country or should we um, have 500? And we, and we didn't really know and we didn't set it because, set a goal on that because, you know, we wanted to see, you know, what what the soccer world would think of, of Players First. And um I would say right now our goal is for every single club in the country to be aspirational, to be players first licensed. Um, we want that this 
application process is a reference for clubs to do some self-analysis and to make improvements to their clubs in different areas. Um, but we don't have a goal for a, a number, you know, but we do hope all clubs um, can take a look at it, use it as a reference and hopefully apply and become licensed as well. Yeah. And that's, that's really good. And I think that's one of the other things that, that I wanted to ask you was, you know, is there, is there something that could potentially connect to all of us that are in the players first community? Uh, Cause if, when you really think about, so, you know, you think around 150 seems like a large number, but when you really think about the grand, the, the grand scale of how big this country is and, just to give you a frame of reference, there's probably 10 to 12 clubs just in the state of Delaware, and we're a relatively small state. So when you start comparing it to other other states and other um, other parts of the country, 150 is not a huge number. So is there a way for us to be able to connect with each other? Because, for example, the one of the reasons why we started this podcast was to share ideas with not just ourselves as me and Dwayne and some other coaches in our club, but also with talking to people from around the country or around the world about soccer and, and development aspects. So, you know, is there a way for us to connect with other clubs? Yes. Um, I, I think that's a fantastic idea. Uh, we, so what we've done with players first so far, kind of one of the two of the main ways that we've tried to connect the players first license club community is um, first through the players first summit, of course, um, you guys, I don't believe you were there. You weren't there in 2019. No. That was the, if the first uh, Players First Summit that we held in um, December in Miami. And um, that was an awesome networking event because we, you know, not only did we hold the sessions, but we got to hold the, the networking kind of social events um, afterwards. So obviously it's easier. We all know virtual um, events. It's hard to do like really the networking and sharing ideas. However, um, in years to come, we do plan to hold the Players First Summit in person. And um, that really was a great way to get clubs to collaborate and share ideas from different, you know, one side of the country to the other um, and even clubs in your own neighborhood. And then the other uh, thing we've done somewhat recently is the, a Facebook live series where we interviewed various uh, players first club directors on the seven different um, parts of the application, which are club leadership and expertise. So we brought on two different club directors from players first license clubs to talk about what they do for club leadership and expertise, how they train their, um, their technical directors, the ongoing education that they have. The second section is staff education and development. So not only the directors, but what are they doing to provide, you know, internal coach education for, um, the rest of the coaching staff? Um, even, you know, looking at, do they have any digital resources that they use? Um, are they, are they able to attend, um, any other ongoing coach education like the convention or any other right. events. Um, the third one is player health and safety. Um, fourth one, training and competition structure. Then we have staffing structure and parent engagement and education. So those are the six different areas of the application. And we brought on these club directors and got to hear their ideas um, on what they're doing for each of these. Now, we hope to do more of that in the future. And we are also, um, even to get more clubs involved, we're going to be creating a player's first resource um, webpage where we're going to be holding all the different, um, aspects of being a player's first license club, as well as resources and ways to connect with other players first license clubs. Cause as you mentioned, I think that's so important and, um, it would be really useful. I think. Uh, absolutely. Or even, or even being able to have, um, cause when we were looking at the, uh, when I was looking at the application, you know, for us, we are, we're the, we're the first club in Delaware to, to have the, the licensing, 
And really in our area, within probably an hour, an hour and a half, an hour and a half from us, there's really not another club. Really, I think Maryland is the closest one. Um, and then the Jersey clubs are, I think, a little bit further away. So for us, it was more about, you know, it'd be great if we could connect with somebody that could almost to a certain extent mentor us through the process of it. Uh, mm-hmm. Cause I think that would be, that would be super helpful. Um, and if you ever need um, we would love to highlight uh, as many of the players first clubs on our podcast. So if you would ever wanted to connect us with them, uh, Dwayne and I would love to sit down with any of the the club members. We would love to share ideas. So that would be oh, definitely. I'm sure there are many that are interested. So we'll, we'd love to connect you guys for sure. Perfect. Spin off podcast, Dwayne. We'll just absolutely. We can do some winter training sessions with some coaches in like Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. I would love to see how Minnesota does uh, indoor indoor or outdoor training in the winter. Yeah. How's your winter <laughs> training look? Cause we need some tips. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is our first time being outdoors in the winter and it's not re- like it's cold here, but it's not that cold. So we need some tips. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. We've got a, a handful of clubs over in Minnesota that we can connect you to. <laughs> absolutely. Hopefully they uh, have market on their chest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so Ashley, I want to know more about you and how you started uh, in, in your journey to get to where you are now. Um, so how did you get started with us club in general? Yeah. So, um, I graduated from college and decided to go abroad and I lived in Spain in Madrid for a couple of years and I, um, did my MBA over there and was playing soccer and a club team and coaching soccer and kind of staying involved in the game as much as I could. And, um, when I came back to the U S in 2015, I was like, okay, I know a few things. I want to work in soccer and I want to be able to use my Spanish language skills. And so through the grapevine, I heard that U.S. club soccer was um, just launching a partnership with La Liga. And I essentially, you know, found my way to the right contact and bugged them until (laughs) until they interviewed me and hired me. Um, And so, yeah, that's that's kind of how I got here. And then obviously didn't only take over the managing the La Liga partnership, but all of players first, because we really had just launched it then. Um, and it's just been a really awesome experience being involved in the youth game um, with club development and the areas of um, growing clubs and making, improving them and really analyzing them. Um, and of course, La Liga has been really exciting to work with too. Oh yeah. That's awesome. And then you also started your own uh, company called all international. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So, um, you know, when I was living in Spain, I was playing for a club team and I realized, you know, many players when they're 21, 22, um, finishing college, their collegiate career, they're like, okay, well, I've, I'm done with my soccer career now, I guess. And I'm so young and it's, you know, it's heartbreaking for players. They play club their whole life and then they go, you know, they get their scholarships and play college soccer and then suddenly they're, they're so young, you know, and they say that people, their players don't really even peak women until they're like 26. Um, and men a little bit younger, I believe, or maybe even, you know, what, it might even be later. I think, yeah, no, I think, I think men, men's, men's 26 to 28, I think. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, like the, the NCAA college career ends like before anyone's even peaking in their soccer career. So oh, yeah. when I played abroad, my eyes were totally open. Like I was devastated thinking I was finishing my college career and never going to play competitive soccer again. So when I played over there, I was like, more people need to know about this, you know, that you can go abroad and play for a cl- competitive club team. So I was on a team with, you know, players as young as we were, I was on like the senior level team. So we had, um, 
16 year old and like a 32 year old all on one team. It wasn't, um, you know, it was just totally different than anything I had seen. And I really wasn't exposed to European soccer at all. So I didn't realize that the club structure was like that. Yep. So I wanted to provide opportunities specifically for women, because I think there's less opportunities for competitive soccer on the women's side. And I, I knew the leagues on the women's side. I didn't really understand the men's side because I wasn't playing obviously on the men's side. So um, when I came back, I, I started a program where I could really consult players who were interested in going abroad, studying um, and playing at the, at another, another club at a high level. So um, it's, you know, it's been my kind of side gig. US club is my full-time um, soccer job, but I definitely still help players. Um, this year has been a little bit difficult with COVID and, sure. and traveling, but but yeah, if anyone is interested, please contact me. I, I, it's one of my passions for sure. And I went through the process and found out many things on the, you know, the hard way. So now I, I really understand better um, placing players and finding teams and studying and the visa process and all that. So, yeah, yeah. And it's, that's really interesting. And it's really cool that you're doing that. And I, I, um, I coached a few players when I was coaching college in Florida that ended up playing in Sweden and in Iceland. Um, they were, two of the players, one was from Sweden, one was from Iceland originally. So they basically just went home and, and played. But one of the players was an American player from Florida who ended up um, finding her way into, into Iceland. And now she's married with two kids and, and mm-hmm. is, <laughs> created a life for herself in Iceland, which is pretty cool. Um, what I think is interesting is that I think that shows, you know, what you're doing too. I think it starts to show a little bit of development that women's soccer around the world has had over the last probably five to six years, I would say, um, which I think is, and, and I think I started noticing in the last Women's World Cup in 2019, where I think the rest of the world, to a certain extent, is starting to catch up. Um, you know, we talked about it in the podcast before where, uh, Duane, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's Brazil and England have now made it, uh, they've, they've, they've equaled the salaries for men and women's soccer. Um, so I think that's extremely important. Um, that's a step in the right direction. I'm from Argentina. So for, you know, watching the, uh, the Argentinian women's league grow more now is, is, is incredible considering five years ago, there was no Argentinian women's national team because they didn't have any funding. So they were completely shut down. Um, so I think the development from a, from an abroad perspective is starting to grow and there's a lot more resources being put into it which i think is going to make the the women's landscape somewhat level out a little bit more i think the us will hopefully still be at the top of that at the top of that list but i think the rest of the world is starting to catch up which i think is important oh yeah i mean even if you look at um you know there was big news about our women's national team players going abroad and playing oh yeah man united man city tottenham um and so that was really interesting to see, I think, because previously, I believe Jill Ellis had, you know, made a rule that all the women's national team players, I think, had to play domestically in the NWSL. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that that's what it was. And so after she left, or I'm not sure exactly when it changed, but then they, you know, they recently were abroad. And after the 2019 World Cup, with so much excitement around the women's national team and around women's soccer, um, I think you're totally right. I think it's it's growing um, massively. I think that, um, even, you know, you see more of it on TV now. Oh, yeah. Um, I know Atta football is another organization that has partnered with, um, well, they've essentially become a big, uh, media platform where they're now 
able to stream games for free. Um, and they're, they're growing to become a, a platform where young girls all the way through, you know, um, adult players can reference their site to watch all the live games. Um, and it's just awesome to see it grow little by little, but it, you know, it's making strides and, um, yeah, like you said too, like you're from Argentina, even, you know, teams in South America and Africa and, you know, Europe, Asia, they're all developing more and more every year. So it's, I think it's really exciting to see. Um, and I'm hoping that it continues in that direction. Yeah, absolutely. So everybody that comes into our podcast, uh, we ask them to give us their three favorite soccer players, just because we want to learn uh, about everybody that comes on the podcast, but at the same time, provide the the listeners just an idea of other players. So you may end up with three players that have never been named on the podcast before people that have, but we think uh, soccer in general is a, is a way that it changes people lives, people's lives in different ways. So who are your three favorite soccer players? All right. I would go with um, Andres Iniesta. Ooh, nice. Yeah. I was a center midfielder, so I admired him a lot. <laughs> Still do. Um, did you get to watch him? Did you get to watch him play at all when you lived in Spain? I did um, a few times. So I was in Madrid, but, yep. you know, I did actually go to the, the El Clasico. A oh, few that's times. awesome. I know. You know what? I went once. I went once. Tickets were a little expensive. That's still, <laughs> that's still, once. listen, I'm, I'm extremely jealous right now. <laughs> I'm extremely jealous. Yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. So I did that once. And then, um, I, yeah, so I, I, and then I saw the Spanish national team play once too. So I believe he was on that game as well. Um, so that, yeah, he's, he, he admire him a lot. He's an awesome player. Um, Julie Earth, women's national yep. team. She's also a powerhouse. Love watching her play, whether she's in, you know, center mid or in defense. She's awesome. Inspiring. Um, and then the third one for me, even though, to be honest, I did not really watch him play in, you know, live games, but I admire him a lot, is Raul from Real Madrid, um, you know, back in 90s and early 2000s. We've got to work with him a lot um, as he was an ambassador for La Liga a couple yep. of years ago and came over and got to run. Actually, he made some special appearances at two of our La Liga methodology courses, which was so cool. One in Chicago and one in New Jersey. Um and so I, like I said, I didn't watch him, you know, when I was a kid or anything, but I did, I've done so much research on him now and like watched oh, yeah. so many highlights that he was just such a fun player to watch. Um, his timing on the ball and, you know, his quickness and he was just such a smart player. And yep. so, yeah, I would say he's my, my third one, but all three of those players are just so fun and awesome to watch. And I believe he ended up his, he ended his career at the, the New York Cosmos, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he was there. Um, I don't know for how long, maybe even just like a year or two. But yeah, yeah. you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the New York Cosmos. I remember that just because it was just it was it was cool to just the fact that I think that at that point he was playing the what now is no longer really around the NASL. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for for coming on today. We we really appreciate your time, and we really appreciate everything you're doing at US Club, and and we thank you so much for for being a part of the Players First uh initiative and and for helping us through a lot of the questions that i've had throughout the the last year but so thank you so much we really appreciate it yeah of course sebastian thanks so much continue to do what you guys are doing in the youth soccer game and improving every single practice and day and year and i think uh what you guys are doing is amazing so thanks for having me appreciate it and i look forward to connecting you with other players first license clubs absolutely wow 
uh what a what a really good interview with uh with ashley lair uh it was it was really fun to have her on the podcast uh this week um so as we move on um one of the things you know one of our one of our favorites one of our favorite players hometown hero hometown hero uh bear delaware representing here in the 19701 zip code um you know the 302 big, area code 302 area code uh has officially officially been announced that he is moving on to genk uh in belgium so he will be going uh he's already leaving or he's about to leave or something he's like that <laughs> he might already be there i don't know i saw a post from uh from dad mckenzie um that that he said that he's you know he's off to belgium um, McKenzie that he better put on a hat out there because that head is gonna be oh yeah it's gonna be cold out there <laughs> yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be cold out there um so really really exciting but that for me that that started you know as as we saw Brendan Aronson also leave as well and there's some different players I saw that an FC Dallas player is now on a on a trial over the winter at at Bayern um Got one go- my boy is still working on going to Juventus yeah so I, think, so I think there's there's some different things that are happening. So it stems the question for me of, you know, if you leave, right, if you're a younger player and you leave and you go to a club and maybe Genk gives you the opportunity because to a certain extent it's a, is a, I don't want to call it a small club, but it's a developmental club to a certain extent. Yeah, the Belgian League is like a developmental. Yeah, there's not league. as many teams. Um, you know, you a lot of kids getting loaned out there. Yeah, absolutely. It, to give them an experience. But, but, you know, it does stem the question, you know, same thing idea with Brendan Anderson going to Salzburg, um, you know, does leaving and possibly not getting playing time at a younger age group at a younger age help you develop? Or do you think you would develop more if you stayed in the MLS, which you don't get that Euro- European exposure but playing basically every every game, especially when you consider Brendan Aronson and a Mark McKen- McKenzie who have aspirations of playing on the national team or continue to hold their spots on the national team. I would say it's situational. Um, they look at Mark McKenzie, um, elegant Zach Stephan, right? They both played a year of college soccer, turned pro. You know, I think Mark, I think he, did he play with Philadelphia Union, the second team for a little bit? Yeah, I think so. And then he finally played with the first team last He started every game last year. So I think that he's kind of going, he said, well, I wasn't ready to be a pro at 18, go to college for a year. And he's kind of taking stepping stones because I want to say I read an article where it said, you know, if Gank wasn't the right move because he wasn't going to get playing time, he would have stayed. Like if right. one of those moves in Europe wasn't the right move, he was going to stay because – he plays in a position where you have to play it week in and week out. Like he's yeah. not a midfielder where you're subbing, constantly subbing. So I think it's situational depending on obviously where you play on the field as a goalkeeper, you know, Zach Stefan, he's got to pick his moments on when and where you're going to play. Like he doesn't have really much of a choice. Right. What he's going to play. Uh, yeah, I mean, luckily he's been able to play unfortunately because, you know, Edison sat and ended up picking up COVID so or he's quarantining or, or, or out of precaution yeah, or something. Issue over there, but but so Zach Stefan ended up stepping in, and I mean he's he hasn't conceded a goal in two games. So yeah, a goal in the Chelsea game, maybe. 
Oh, that's right. Yeah, at the end. It was three one. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was right but at the like, end, yeah. it's it's situational because like the same thing with Zach Steffen, right? You go to college for a year, you see you're probably the best keeper in college at that point. Yeah, and you just you know you go to then you're ready for MLS. I think it just really depends. Like Brendan Aronson is a midfielder. He's an attacking midfielder. Those players get subbed on a lot more, right? Than the other two. So yeah, goes- Brendan Aronson could come in you know, in a couple of games, 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there, and possibly make an impact that ends up giving them 20 to 25 minutes. And all of a sudden he started again playing for 60 minutes. And yeah, I, I didn't really think about it from that perspective. That's, that's a really good point. Yeah. Cause you think like Josh Sargent, for example, right? He goes in, he scores goals. He's in the team. Not yeah. scoring goals. He's out the team. Starts scoring goals again. Gets, like, yeah. I mean, we see it with Tim, Tim Weah now. I mean, you know, he's, he's at Lille now. And you know when he comes on, he's trying to be an impact player with the with the little minutes that he gets, and he's he's starting to get, you know, he's starting to pick up some minutes. He scored a couple goals in December that helped him get some more minutes. He hasn't necessarily started yet, but hopefully that'll that'll start changing because he's a player that I genuinely enjoy watching play. Yeah. No, absolutely, and he's probably the best example because he makes a move to PSG, mm-hmm. which is you know a top. 10 club in the world, definitely a money-making club. Like, you go, you're out there playing with Neymar and Mbappe as a 17, 18-year-old, but you know, like, you know for a fact you're not starting in that team. The interesting thing about Tim Weah at that point was that when they did their 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 USA tour, uh, he started a lot of those games because a lot of those players didn't play, and he actually scored some goals, and I thought, I thought he would have gotten some minutes, and obviously that didn't happen. Um, he, he could have scored thirty goals in five games, and Mr. He still would have, <laughs> still would have been still would have been on the bench. Yeah, no, you're right, you're right. So yeah, so I mean, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that 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 obviously Mark goes out there, sending as Brendan, and they go out there and really just make an impact um, right away in their clubs. Um, I think the Belgian league is. You look at the success. I mean, there's two American U.S. national team players. In that league now, you got Matt Mazaga, yep, who's played I think every game. He's on loan from Chelsea. You got uh, Horvath, yep, who's I think he starts on his team. He's not a bad keeper. They were just yep. in the Champions League, so I mean, you can talk to those guys. What's the league look like? What's the success look like? Yep. But I think probably the right move for you know, especially at a center back, you got to play. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think and I think uh, it'll be interesting to see. Because neither of them got called up, obviously for the um, for the they national pulled, team they camp. Pulled out. Mark pulled out. Yeah. Well, I mean, he had to. It's either that or you don't go, right? I mean, and right now that's the time to, for you to go in the winter. I mean, the the Austrian league is about to get started, and there's only nine teams in that league or ten teams in that league. So the in general, the seasons they I think they're running half year seasons because obviously the size of the the league. Um, so. You know, Brendan Aronson could potentially start getting some minutes as early as tomorrow in one of the friendlies that they have going on. You know, they have friendlies starting tomorrow, I believe, at noon or something like that. So obviously, I'm going to definitely be on the lookout to see if he could potentially pick up some game time, considering he's coming off of not necessarily being in that long of a hiatus. What he's been off for a month? Yeah, I I don't I know that those countries over there have like a winter break because obviously there's snow on the ground, but but there was he's only been off for a month. It's not like he's been sitting, you know. Yeah, I'm sure he probably went over there a couple of days early to get adjusted. 
Yeah, absolutely. So definitely really, really cool, really cool for those players to to get some experience and exposure to the European uh, European game. So, all right. So we're going to move on to the women's national team. Uh, and we'll, we'll somewhat briefly touch base on this just because there was a 27 player camp uh, roster that was announced. Um, you know, Alex Morgan is out. She, she ended up getting COVID her entire family has COVID. So she's, she's out. She can't be here, even though that was one of the reasons why she came back from, from, from Spurs uh, to be a part of the women's national team camp and things like that. Um, and then, you know, the only other, the only other player that has, that has pulled out has been Tobin Heath, who decided to stay in, in England to, to finish out the season there. Um, which good for her. I mean, she's she's been killing it there. So is a baller. Like that, yeah. that is by far my favorite player in the women's yeah. national team. She, so like, she's not scared to take anybody on. But what I what I wanted to talk about was the fact that I found out some. Uh, I found out the reason why the player that I wanted to watch play on the in the last camp and in, in the yeah. last friendly against the Netherlands didn't play. Uh, so we talked about Katarina Macario. Um, who, That's the college player, right? Yeah, it's a college player from Stanford um, who didn't get to play, but has been on the camp. So what well, the reason is, is because she is not eligible to play for the U.S. yet because I believe she's from Venezuela. So she is working on her well, um, student visa to play here. Probably. And then, to, I mean, obviously you'd have to find some. Sorry, she's Brazilian. Um, so she would need to end up picking up, uh, I'm assuming citizenship. Um, she's been here for, for some time now. So, um, she's looking for a husband, may, maybe <laughs> <laughs> careful with what you say. Uh, <laughs> you never know who's listening Dwayne. you never know who's <laughs> listening. Um, she, she actually went to, went to high school in the States. So I'm assuming she's just waiting for her citizenship to be able to come through. And then, um, Yes, absolutely. Pick her up, put her in three games in a row, make sure that the Brazilian national team can't pick her up, basically. She's not the next Marta. Just tell her, we have to downplay her to the Brazilians. Like, nah. nah, she's not that good. Not good. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so that's why if you ever wonder why Macario didn't play or will not play in the upcoming matches against Colombia, which I think would be really cool, really good matches, uh, That's that's why. So, player of the match. Um, I'm going to give my player of the match award to a team. So, for me, the team of the match or the player of the match or the players of the match goes out to Cornella, who is a team from the third division in Spain who knocked out Atletico Madrid and now plays crosstown rivals literally 10 miles away from each other, Barcelona, in the next round of the Copa del Rey. If I'm going to go on record. If Ricky Pooch doesn't start, Barcelona loses this game. <laughs> I mean, so I watched the highlights of the game. Um, and they scored off a set piece. Hate set pieces. Scored off a set piece. Um and and Simeone talked about how you know obviously that team was going to rely on looking for a set piece and and being strong there. 
And it's not like Atletico Madrid played with like a bunch of 14 year olds on the field. I was going to say, did they have like those oh. 95, number 96, number 96? No, no, no. Joao Felix and Angel Correa started in, in like, it was a good mix of starters on the team and they just, just couldn't score. Um, obviously, Luis Suarez didn't play, but, but still, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty bad. Um, and he also mentioned that he said, you know, we'll see what next year's Copa del Rey brings if I'm still here. So I don't think he's getting fired up. I mean, some, I, some I, managers are under fire, but Simeone is. It's either that or he might leave. He may he may just decide to, you know, call it quits and get out and go some go in search of a different different challenge. You never know. You go to Barcelona. No, 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 no. I think in Spain that guy only coaches Atletico Madrid. I, I think so. I, I just don't see I don't see him leaving anywhere else. I mean, he he is closer to coaching Barcelona than he's ever is to coaching Atletico Real Madrid. I'll, I'll, that that's a fact. But <laughs> but um, considering his history at the club and he played, I don't Atletico think he would have well. a place to live in Madrid if he no 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 he'd have to commute from Argentina probably. <laughs> every day uh to be able to do that but but yeah so mine goes out to cornella from the third division we get back to zach stefan uh like we kind of hinted on step he's stepping in for ederson um and it's like they haven't really taken taken a step back sometimes when you put your backup keeper in it's kind of like but um stefan's come in he's handled his business he looks good um i guess it's what's next for him. Is he going to go back to be the number two behind Ederson? Does he get more game time? Because Ederson's kind of at his prime where he's not going to really be coming out a lot. And Stefan's at a point where he probably needs more games. But does, does Zach Stefan now, and Pep has done this before, but does Zach Stefan become what Bravo was before where, Bravo was the keeper for all the Champions League games, I think, or something like that. All you know, games. And... Yeah, but then I think, like, see, I, my problem with that is you do like you put Stefan in the cup games. If you put him in the Champions League games, you get to the Champions League finals. You start Stefan over Anderson. Depends on who got you there. But do you start if you're going to the Champions League final, which Man City hasn't been to? Yeah. You need to throw out your best eleven. I don't. I mean, loves Zach Stefan, but I don't know if he's your best keeper. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think I I watched an interview with with Pep, and he talked about how he trusts that Zach Stefan can can do the job. Obviously, if not, he wouldn't be there. But you know, he said he brings in a lot of experience playing on the U.S. national team, being a having international caps under his belt. I think it's a it's a good thing for him. So. We'll see. I mean, I think it'll definitely be an interesting conversation. Um, you know, once once Ederson's back. I think that Stefan's gonna if he does leave City in the future, his fee is gonna be close to like what Polo Six was. Maybe. Yeah. It's gonna be a nice little fee. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I wonder if Columbus crew ends up picking up any of that or not. Ten percent, five percent. Five percent. Hey, NYCFC probably benefits more than Columbus Crew. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> all right. So on this day in history, all right, on this day in history. So 2012, 2012, 
not too long ago, you know, January 8th of 2012, only being what, nine years ago? Hey, I was a junior in high school. All right. So we'll move on from that conversation. (laughs) Uh, No, but so uh, 2012, um, a player that you may know, uh, this is one of Soccer Dan's favorite players of all times, Mr. Paul Scholes. Scholesy. You know, he's, he's famously known from playing at Manchester United for a long time, being part of the class of 92. Um, but, you know, the previous May, you know, six months or seven months before he had retired, he said, you know what, I'm, I'm out, I'm done. This, you know, I'm, I'm 36. Um, Hair's not on fire anymore. Yeah, 36, that's that's enough. Like, I'm I'm good. Like, you know, I've, I've, I'm done. But, um, but the Manchester United had to play a game against Manchester City um, for the FA Cup. And they had a lot of injuries that game. So what did Mr. Sir Alex Ferguson do? He said, hey, Scolzi, I know you're working for the club and you're kind of part of my coaching staff, but you know what I could really use? I could use you on the field again. So this day, nine years ago, Paul Scholes comes out of retirement seven months later um, and ended up coming in the sixth, 59th minute of the game. Um, and United, Manchester United ended up winning the game three to two. He actually went on to play uh, a couple more games and sign an entire contract for the entire year. So he stayed on. That's funny. And in May of 2013, he ended up calling it quits again. And that's funny in comparison because I was thinking about um, how the NFL, how the Broncos had no quarterbacks and they wanted to sign a coach, like one of their coaches that was a quarterback to play that game. Mm-hmm. And you're not allowed to do that in the NFL. <laughs> or I don't think you're allowed to do that in like any American sport. Really? Yeah, I don't like, I don't think that you're able to like stash it, like, because they would call it stashing a coach because teams would want right. to uh, put Thierry Henry as a coach. But well, we talked about this. We talked about this as a national team. Forget which national team it was that ended up having a lot of COVID cases, so they put their goalkeeper coach as their as their backup goalkeeper. Well, Chelsea has Czech as their backup uh, third keeper, even though he's part of uh, he's part of the coaching staff or the academy staff or something like that. He's their emergency. Yeah, Czech is their emergency keeper. Interesting. He played um, a game. Actually, I sent you that clip. Remember Danny Drinkwater like took out that dude? Yeah. He was the keeper of that game. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> Look at that. Hmm. Very, very interesting. Played Peter Check at the age of 37 playing with the U23s. <laughs> hey, listen, if uh if Howard could do it when he bought the uh the the Memphis or the the Nashville or Memphis USL franchise, and he ended up putting himself on the team. Hey, that's it. If that's the way you can keep playing, is you have to buy a franchise. You so got enough money for it, might as well, right? David Beckham, watch out for David Beckham and enter Miami soon. Oh, watch out! Well, I mean, now he's about to pick up uh, Neville as his coach. Uh, which one? Uh the one that's. Coach the that's coaching the women's England national team. Okay, I don't know if that's Gary or Phil. Phil, I think that's Phil. <laughs> I think it's Phil. 
that's a good question. Is it Gary or Phil? Uh, no, I think it's Phil. Um, so yeah, so so that was on this day in history, 2012. Paul Scholes comes back out of retirement. Can you imagine like Inter Miami down a goal, out free kick outside the 18? David Beckham's like right enough. Gives him the sign, just comes in. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of cool. And there's also been talks of uh, uh, Sergio Romero, who's the at this point third or fourth goalkeeper at Manchester United. Um, leaving Manchester United, he's apparently already left, and there was talks of him going to United, or sorry, Inter Miami. I was gonna say Ole said that him and uh, Rojo could leave. Yeah, yeah, uh, Rojo apparently going to Boca Juniors. Yeah, going back to the mud. Back to yeah, that's right. You heard who's coming? Well, this is obviously before what happened a couple days ago. But you heard who may potentially become to DC United? Rojo, Mizzou. Ozil, oh my goodness, season tickets, Dwayne. I already got Philadelphia Union season tickets. Well, I, I'm getting DC United season tickets. I'm going. I'm going the other way. I'm going right, south. I would uh, the neighborhood they put their new stadium. I would definitely like your car. I've been there. The new stadium. Yeah, I've been to the new stadium. I was there last year, like your car. two years ago. I mean, I took the I took the train in. That's a smart. I, I, I left my I left my I left my car. In uh, at the train station, about forty-five minutes away, and took the train into the uh, into the stadium. Yeah, had a really good time. Uh, we actually, so it's a fun little story. So my buddy Fields and I uh, met up. He he flew in from Colorado. I picked him up, and we went straight to the game. Um, and when we when we went into the game, uh, we as we were about to cross the street, we ran into this guy. Who said, hey, uh, I'm part of this supporters group called the Screaming Eagles. And, you know, we, we have this thing by this, uh, like, old rotary club or something like that, like, literally across the street from the stadium. You want to you wanna come over here? Well, you know, we got we have an open bar for 20 bucks or whatever it was that, that we paid or whatever it was. Um, Fields ended up buying a scarf. I have a koozie at, at home that, that says DC United Screaming Eagles. Um, so we, we made a bunch of friends and we, uh, they are intense over there. We, we went and hung out with the screaming Eagles. I know. I, I don't know if it was like the infrastructure of RFK, but they used to have the bleachers literally coming off the ground by jumping. It might've been, it might've been by design. It might've been the infrastructure. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's, I mean, the new, the new stadium is, is really cool. Um, the one interesting thing is whenever, whenever DC United scores a goal, they throw beer. Like everybody in the supporter stand, like basically just grabs whatever they have in their hand and just throws it up in the air. Must have a sponsorship. So just rains beer. If I saw so I would be doing the opposite. When we get ready to score, let me finish mine. Yeah. So definitely an interesting, definitely an interesting experience. Uh, but a cool, really cool stadium. Really fun stadium to be in. Um, all right, fair play of the week. Uh, my fair play of the week goes to Mr. Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, because he is in talks of contract renewals uh, with with Manchester City. His contract, I believe, is up probably within the next year, um, June or next year or something like that. He's been at the club for five, going into six years, and he is doing – he's representing himself. He said, you know what? I'm going to keep that 5%, 10%, or whatever it is that the agents get. I'm keeping that. 
I've been at the club. My intention is to stay at the club. Uh, so there's really no reason for me to, to hire somebody to mediate this. So he's representing himself, which I think is really cool because I think it gives him a sense of responsibility that I think more players should do. I think um, you start representing other players in the club. <laughs> then he starts collecting 10%. There you go, man. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think, listen, in South American soccer, um, South American soccer is ruled by one or two different agents. Uh, and it's extremely toxic. Um, so anytime, anytime a player can, can represent himself and educate himself on to what he has to do in order to sign his own contract. I think that's extremely, that's extremely, um, honorable. So Kevin DeBorna for play of the week. Should have told that to Javier Mascherano and Carlos Sevez. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, you're you're up. Who do you have? Uh, mine. I'm, I have the. It was originally Jamie Carragher, but um, as I was reading this morning, Everton and Liverpool have also stepped out to help out. Um, this club called Marine Football Club. So they are in the fourth division of the England uh, club so, tier. Yep. Um, playing Tottenham this weekend in the FA Cup. Um, their training ground, you know, fourth tier. Their training ground is literally like a park. Um, they have like 500 fans. They were trying to get fans in to get money, um, but COVID's obviously um, ramping back up in uh, Britain. So Jamie Carragher stepped in, matched what the fans would have paid to help this club support them. Um, they're trying to get their players COVID test. Their players have part-time job or they have full-time jobs elsewhere. This is a part-time gig for them. Oh yeah, I'm sure. So like the one of the guys is like the trash man, uh, the other guys doing people's taxes, all that good stuff. So Jamie Carragher stepped in, he donated some money so they would be able to play this game. Everton and Liverpool, um, just being in close proximity of this club, allowing them to use their training grounds because their training ground is under frost right now uh, because it's too cold to train outside. The alternative training ground, someone else was using it or something. So they're able to use Everton and Liverpool train on some world-class facilities. I think they're helping them out with the COVID test too. So they can go play Tottenham and probably lose 10 nothing. But all of or, them. Or all of a sudden you see some Liverpool. <laughs> some academy <laughs> players. <Ten> on <laughs> so, you know, NBA style 10-day contracts. <laughs> I mean, it, the transfer window is open. Mo, Mo Salah, Mo Salah on a 10-day. Got all his hair off. Firmino, Firmino Natende against to go play against Tottenham uh, for I mean, Marine FA or Marine FC. You have Jurgen Klopp with like just like makeover. Everybody on Liverpool and Everton are just going to do makeovers and go play. Yeah, I mean potentially. All but, of a sudden, James is playing. Just now, it's just James. Yeah, now it's James. Everybody just picks American names. Like, yeah, we just got all these American players coming over. Yeah, James. It's James Rodriguez. James Richardson. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, that would be that would be an interesting scenario. I, I could I could just imagine Mourinho's uh, expression at that point. Or if a player that's like an English player tries to switch to a Spanish name, and his name ends up being Sebastian Acosta. <laughs> hey, listen, I would, buy, hey, I would buy the jersey. Yeah, I I would definitely buy the jersey. Yeah, give me first name and last name on the jersey. No number, just first name, last name. But all those letters on the back of that jersey. Oh yeah. <laughs> well. Uh, 
thanks uh everybody for joining us this week um please make sure you follow us on facebook facebook.com slash delaware union instagram at delaware union soccer and on twitter at the union soccer uh be on the lookout for way more information on our united women's soccer team uh, and thanks for joining us this week and remember always receive the ball on your front foot